my brother and I were, were fairly young, I don't know, elementary school age, and we were walking home from school one day, and as we walked into our, uh, into our, our yard, we noticed from a distance, we noticed something, uh, a, a lump or a clump of something in the yard, and, and we kind of commented, well, I wonder what that is. And as we got closer, we, uh, we noticed that whatever it was, it wasn't moving, and, and we got closer and closer, and as, as the closer we got with it not moving and looking out of place, we slowed down just a little bit, and, and finally, as we got a little bit closer, you could tell that it was a raccoon. And there's a, a raccoon laying in our yard. And, and so we kind of stopped from a distance and looked at it a little bit and, and asked that obvious question. You think it's alive? <laughs> uh, now, now, you assume a raccoon laying in your yard probably is not alive. But, but uh, we, we kind of looked at it for a while, and then we stepped a little bit closer. And I don't know which one of us finally said something uh, uh, about it. But finally, we said, I, I think it's dead. And, and one of us said, well, let's check. And, well, how do you check uh, if a raccoon laying in the yard is dead? So, um, you know, you didn't, here, here boy, here, you, know, you didn't know what, so, so, you, so we walked up to it, and either myself or Rick, one of us, got close enough to kick it. And then we jumped back a little bit, and, and it didn't move. And so we did it again a couple times, and it didn't move and then we uh, we pronounce that yes, indeed, the raccoon was dead. Uh, if you nudge it and it doesn't move, a good rule of thumb is that it's probably dead. Now, maybe a possum, uh, maybe a possum, you could do that too, and it really is alive. But but we figured out that hey, it's probably dead. In James chapter two, James broaches a subject that. Uh, that, that's a little bit uncomfortable. We talked about it last week. A little bit uncomfortable, but kind of what he's what he's saying is if if you see it and uh, and he's talking about faith. He's talking about our walk. If we if you look at someone's walk with the Lord and it's not going anywhere, there, there's no activity, there's no action, there's no movement, and, and you walk up and you kick it and it doesn't move, then maybe maybe that faith is dead. And and we talked about that. Last week, uh, and we pointed this out that that sometimes, and what he's talking about here is a plastic faith. A faith, a plastic faith ha- has no value. It's decorative. It's cheap, and it doesn't really change us. So, what good is a faith that doesn't have any action tied to it? But James, here in chapter two of uh, of his book, is also pointing to a second option. It kind of it's just obvious. There's a second reality. A Second truth, if a plastic faith is one without action is dead, what, what is opposite of that uh, must be a fruitful faith. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to James chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to look at the verses that we looked at last week. We didn't read the whole section last week. Today, I'm going to read that whole section. James chapter 2, starting with verse 14, we'll go on down through the end of the chapter in verse, to, to verse 26. Uh, 26. So let, let me point this out. Uh, I promised it before and haven't delivered. I think today is the day. Uh, some of you have been looking for, asking for uh, a short sermon. Today probably is going to be that. So uh, just so you know. And I know you like long ones, Carrie, so I'll try to go as long as I can. But uh, it's been a rough week, so today's going to be a short sermon. What good is it, my brothers, he says in verse 14, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about 
the physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you by my, my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture is fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We're, we're going to look this morning at a fruitful faith. And, and really just one thought here uh, and kind of three thoughts underneath that. One thought, a fruitful faith sees and serves. A fruitful faith sees and serves. Here's the first thing that we have to catch. We have to see, we have to see the need. Uh, look at uh, look at verse 14 in chapter 2, and it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but uh, but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, verse, verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. What, what James is saying there, what he could have said, uh, he could have said it this way. So, when you see a brother or sister, who are without clothes or daily food. So, so the first thing that we have to do to have a fruitful faith is that we have to see. We have to see the need. The, the key is we will never meet needs. We, we will never serve like God calls us to and be the example that Jesus wants us to be. We will never become that if we don't first see. Seeing needs might be might come about in, in several different ways. It might come about by us actually seeing the need. So, so James kind of illustrates it here with someone that, that needs clothing and food, someone that's really struggling with, with their personal needs. So, so, so our seeing might be when we notice that ourselves. We see that and we're like, man, there's, there's something I can do about that. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to reach out and do something. The scene might be, might be when someone else sees that, but they bring you along with them. An example of that would be our church. As a church, sometimes we see the need, and then we invite you to join us in that need. We see an opportunity where we can serve, and we say, hey, will you sign up and join us in this this project? Will will you come alongside us? So so maybe you don't see the need, but someone in the church does and says, hey, we're going to drag you along. We're going to invite you to be a part of that. And maybe maybe sometimes we see the need, uh, and it, it, it kind of looks like this, we we don't really see it, but we want to. And so we ask, hey, does someone see a need? This will happen here in a couple months around Christmas time. Every year I'll get a phone call or someone will drop by the office or they'll call Tanya in the office and they'll say, hey, is there someone that needs some help? Is there a family that we can buy food for? Is there a family whose kids need adopted for Christmas? We we want to help, but we don't know how to do that. So So sometimes 
we see the need because we want to, but we don't notice it, so we ask someone else, hey, can you tell me about But But remember, here's the key. If we don't see the need, if we don't see the opportunity to serve, if we don't see the the chance to step out on faith and make a difference, then 100% of the time, we will fail to put our faith into action. So, so what keeps us from seeing? If, if, if the key is that we have to see, and that's the first thing that has to happen here, what keeps us from seeing? I, I, I think that part of the time what keeps us from seeing is, and this may sound a little bit odd, I, I, I think we fail to see because we don't listen. Now, let me just toss this out. And, and I, I don't mean anything by this at all, but there is a percentage of people here today, I don't know what it is, maybe 50, uh, maybe 10, maybe 20. I have no idea what this percentage. There's a percentage of people here today that aren't even listening to what I'm saying. Uh, uh, I don't really see anyone asleep yet. Uh, I, I'll give you a couple more minutes on that. But but your mind's somewhere else. Now, now maybe it's because, man, life is just busy, and life is, is hard right now, and you, your mind is somewhere else. Man, I understand that. I get that. Uh, maybe maybe you've got your to-do list out and some of you are on your, your phones and you're typing in the things you need to do. Maybe you're just really not in. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know when I really, I really don't care? Well, I do care, but, but it's not that big a deal. The, the fact that you're here is great. You know, when, when we're in God's house, it, gives, it really does give us an opportunity for God to speak to us and for something to happen, for God to connect with us. But I'm not really talking about that. Not really that important. Are, are we listening to God. What keeps us from seeing sometimes is that we're, we're not even challenged. We're not even listening to God to, to the point that we allow God to speak to us about what he wants us to see. L- let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I, I, I could not even begin to count the number of times that my wife has, uh, my wife and I have had this kind of scenario happen that, that that's like this and she will agree with me Rita might say something to me uh downstairs she might say hey Tim will you run upstairs and get my red earrings I don't even know if she has red rare red earrings but would you run upstairs and get my red earrings they're in the blue box on my dresser underneath my makeup mirror <sighs> okay this is probably how I would respond let's just be honest so so I run upstairs and I walk Walk into the room. Just raise your hand, guys, if you're with me on the. You walk. I walk in the room and I'm thinking, now what did I come up here for? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. She wanted me to get her blue earrings, um, and and uh, some of you were paying attention. Uh, and 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 then I think, well, where are they? Well, they must be on her uh, her her little uh, jewelry. What do you call that jewelry? box it's a big stand thing where she has all of her uh thousands and thousands of dollars worth of jewelry uh well if we get broken into we'll know who to look uh but but so i go in and i i look on her jewelry thing and i i don't see any blue earrings she's she said maybe they were on a box underneath that and i don't i don't see a box and so i go downstairs and i say i can't find them rita they're not there and she will say something like this. You didn't listen, did you? <laughs> Is that right? Am, am I correct? You didn't listen. And she'll say, what did I say? And I said, 
you said, go get your earrings. They're on the, the jewelry thing. No, I didn't. So when I go back, they're in a blue box. They're red. They're in a blue box on the dresser underneath the mirror where she said, uh, I have a habit. Sometimes I just don't listen. Uh, and you know what? When we don't listen t- to God speaking to us, when we, don't, when we don't listen to what God says to us, when we don't hear his word challenging us, when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit when it nudges us, uh, this wasn't in my sermon, but Kevin, what you talked about in Sunday school was you listening today. When, when, when we don't listen, then we don't see. If I don't listen to, to the, the gospel of Jesus that calls me to, to, to take my faith out of the walls of the church and to take my faith out of the walls of my home and to take my faith out of the walls of my safe and secure life and and take it into the streets and into the gutters and into the brokenness of people's lives. If I don't listen to that, then I will never see the opportunities. And, and here's the second thing I think why we sometimes don't see. We, we, it starts there with seeing. It, is I think sometimes we don't prioritize. Um, and in, in, in general, we don't prioritize our lives well enough that we are able to see. Now, I've got to be real careful here because I, I really don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I, I, that's not my intent here at all. I, I'm, I'm, and I want to speak in very general terms because the, the truth is everyone's got to figure this out, out for themselves. What you're going to find out today is I don't have any answers today. I'm just going to throw out some stuff and you're going to have to figure out what God's saying to you. So, so I don't have any real answers to this and particularly so because Reed and I are in a season of our life where we're, where we're past some of this in our life. Well, we're past all of this in, in our life. But, but parents, I know that for your lives, you, you, you struggle. Uh, and let's just be honest. Would, would you just check your lives close enough to realize that, that it is a struggle to prioritize your lives so that you have time to see? Now, I, don't, I, I look back on our lives, and our lives were crazy busy, but but, you know, it is even crazier now than it was back when we were raising our kids. There are so many more opportunities and, and uh, uh, chances for kids to be involved in things and life to go umpteen different directions than it was even just a few, well, it's more than a few years, several years ago when we were raising our kids. I, I don't know how you do it, and, and I don't have an answer for it except to say, parents, maybe you have to look and say, I need to make sure that I prioritize. I don't have a magic answer with what you should be doing, but, but parents, look at your schedules. Maybe, maybe, maybe when you're running to and fro and from one practice to one activity to one encounter after another, maybe what God really wants you to do is, is step back and take some time and, and maybe do away with one of those things and take that money and that time that you put into that and instead use that time for service. Would, would your kids learn more from a another practice or would they learn more from from going to children's mercy and serving a meal at, at ronald mcdonald house would they learn more from that that one more thing that they're doing uh, or would they learn more from going to a food kitchen and 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 filling the plates of people that have less than them would would they learn more from that one more activity to keep them busy or would they learn more from from stepping over to caden's closet and sorting through clothes and and restocking shelves I, 
And again, I don't have an answer here. And and and, and trust me, believe me, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, to to indict anyone. But but boy, we we get so busy with our lives, and parents particularly, lives are so stinking busy that it's hard. I know it's got to be hard to see. Now, and, and now that's let's step away from that, and, and uh, uh, that's true of the rest of us as well. Man, we 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 just fill our schedules with stuff. And maybe some of that schedule filling is with, with me time. Uh, well, you know, I, I want to have this enough time for me to do what I want to do. And, and we prioritize ourselves um, if, if we have that ability and, and miss those opportunities. So, so understand, uh, if, a, if a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, that, that's seeing. You, you've got to see it first. If we don't see it, there's certainly no way we're going to act. But but here's the second thing, because if it just stops there, it's not good enough. Great that you saw it. Great if you figured out how to notice a need, but 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 it's got to go on. Notice what he says next, verse 16. If, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. Now, now, notice the key here. We won't meet needs unless there's a heart connection. One, one of the things about Jesus is that Jesus saw, Jesus saw people and he saw their needs, whether it was, was a, a, a leper, a blind man, a, a crippled person, someone that couldn't, uh, couldn't hear or, or, or whatever it might be, uh, someone that had died, what, whatever, whatever it was, Jesus saw people and he saw their needs and he didn't think, what can I get out of this? He didn't see a leper and say, man, you know what? If I heal that guy's leprosy, people are going to, it's, it's going to benefit my ministry. People are really going to get excited and they're going to pat me on the back and they're going to trust in me and believe me and start following me. It was never about, I'm going to do this so people see me. It wasn't what Jesus could get from it. It was always, it was always about what he could do. He was always seeing their situation, their hurt, their pain, and and then he wanted to change that. Go, I wish you well, and keep war, warm and well fed. So, so we have to see, but we also have to have a heart connection. We we have to be moved by that. Uh, I I spent three days, or well, uh, parts of three days uh, in uh, uh, in Juarez this week, uh, taking pictures for our. Operation in Napra, and got to spend quite a bit of time with Pastor Ezekiel, uh, which was a, which was a true blessing for me. And and we were were talking uh, about the family that we built, or one of the families that we built the house for last year, uh, last summer, Jaime and Marta. And, and and he reminded me, and and I know we told this story, but let me remind you of the story. But he was telling me about what had happened with that, and we talked about that again. That that. That last spring or early last summer, that Marta uh, had had fallen ill. I believe it was in Veracruz and was very sick. And the family wanted to get her back home, get her back to Napa, but they didn't have any money. So, so Pastor Ezekiel uh, said to Jaime, her husband, called Jaime on his phone and said, "Jaime, I, I man, I feel for you. I, 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 I feel your pain. I, I hope you're able to get her home." And, and when you do, we'll be here to uh, we'll wish you well. Those of you that know the story, that's, that's not what happened. So, 
Pastor Ezekiel gathered some money. I don't know how he did it because they didn't have any, but they gathered some money, got the money to him so they could bring bring her home. And, and then we found out, if you remember, the, the very first day they were working on a car that they were going to fix up that, that Pastor Ezekiel donated to the family so that they could sell the car to raise the money so that, that Marta could have, have, have surgery. Uh, and what a blessing it was when we found out what they needed. $600 was exactly what our church had, had donated. Um, that or actually it was twice that, 1200 but 600 for them that we were going to give to them so that, that it could make it happen. And Marta had that surgery. Uh, but, but I found out just this week that Marta has had a second surgery um, as, uh, in, in the meantime. And, and Pastor Ezekiel said, well, we ended up selling the car so that we could pay for the second surgery. And, and, and let me just kind of point out, uh, uh, I'll, I'll send, I'll, at some point I'll send out a picture to our mission people uh, I, I went by and saw Jaime and, and Marta, and Marta is doing amazing. Uh, if you remember, she had to be helped from the house out to even sit in a chair. We we didn't even want her to have to sit in the sun because she was so weak, and she was out running around their yard and in in and out of the house when I was there on on Wednesday, and and, and it was amazing. But what if what if Pastor Ezekiel said, "Hey, I'm glad you had that first surgery, but man, I hope you're able to figure out how to." pay for a second it's important it's important that we're moved go I wish you well keep warm and well fed but uh, but he goes on then and says in in the rest of that verse uh, but 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 if they do nothing uh, about his physical needs what good is it so so we have to see, we have to, we have to be moved. We've got to have a heart connection. And then we have to respond. Now, James uses two examples here to illustrate the response. And, and I, 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 I don't like to correct a, uh, uh, someone that, that wrote a letter in the Bible. It's probably wrong for me to do that, but I wouldn't have used these examples. If if I were James, I would have pulled an example out from the church. I would have said, "Hey, do you remember that time that uh, that uh, that Marie Maria needed uh, needed help? Uh, Her husband had died and and needed help, and you as a church pulled together and met her needs." If I was James, that's what I would have. That's what I would have written there because it was something the church knew and they, they were close to. And, and, and I said, hey, do you remember that time when Joseph, when Joseph broke his leg and wasn't able to work, but you guys got together and you harvested his, his field for him and, and, and put the crop in and, and took care of his family and made sure they had. If, if I were James, I think the two examples I would have used would have been personal examples from the church, just like I might from our church. But James uses instead two historical examples. I'm not going to reread them, but but we'll point them out. You you know what he's talking about. He talks about Abraham. He says, "Well, hey, do you remember how Abraham was 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 told by God to offer his son Isaac on the altar, and that was connecting Abraham's faith to his action." And, and then he says, "Oh, and by the way, do you remember when Rahab the prostitute? We read about her back in the book of Joshua. In in Joshua chapter two, uh, Joshua sent a couple spies in." to Jericho to check it out and 
and Rahab was able to to let them out and and send them away so that they were saved, and it ended up saving her her whole family, and she ended up ended up with a, a, a historical connection to Jesus. It was kind of kind of a school, cool story, but but it's when Rahab's faith was connected to her action. So it's not the stories I would have used. So I, I guess I asked the question: Why? Why did why did James pick those? Let me let me try. I think he closes a loop. We talked last week, verse 14, for some people, is a troubling verse because it says, can such faith save him? It seems like James is saying that we're saved by, by our actions and not by our faith, even though we pointed out that's not what he's saying at all. But, but this kind of closes the loop because it ties faith, it ties our trust in God with our actions that they are one and the same. When we have faith, then we necessarily have action with it. So where does that leave us? Where, where does that leave us as a church? Johnny, you guys can come, come on up. Where does that leave us as a church then? What what is the application for us? Where where do we go then with with this? Remember, remember back and I I touched on it, but I didn't develop it all. Back in chapter one, verse twenty seven, James says, "Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look at orphans and widows in their distress, take care of them." Now, the application there would have been not, not just literally orphans and widows, but, but anyone that had a need, anyone that was struggling, anyone that had no one else to speak for them or no one else to reach out and touch them. Church, I don't have an answer. What, what does that mean for us? I don't know. What does that mean for you personally? I don't know. But I know that we have to keep our eyes open. We have to look. We have to see. Th- then, then when we see, be moved, be, 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 uh, be touched, be connected to our heart, and then we just literally have to do something. We have to respond. I, uh, I preached my brother's funeral, funeral yesterday. Uh, my son Caleb asked me on the way over to uh, uh, Champaign, Illinois, if this was going to be my toughest funeral. And I, I thought for a while because I've done my grandpa's and my grandmother's and uh, Rita's, both Rita's parents and my uh, uh, cousin that I grew up with, and and I thought for a while and I said, you know what, I I think it is for lots of reasons. Rick and I had done it almost all of those funerals, not Rita's parents, but all those other funerals we did side by side. We both took part in those funerals, and same same with many weddings in the family. We both were part of weddings together, and and I pointed that out yesterday that I was going to be standing up there alone, and and it was it bothered me. But my brother was uh, was, and, and this is where I went with the service yesterday. I, I pointed out from the book of Acts uh, about Barnabas, and if you want to read about Barnabas, you can. I won't redo my sermon, but. Uh, but Barnabas was an encourager, and that's who my brother was. That's, 
That's literally what he did for a living, was he encouraged people. Friday night during the visitation, a, a, a man and woman came through the line, and they introduced themselves, and and uh, I said, well, I'm Rick, uh, Rick's brother, Tim. They said, they looked in the casket, and they looked at me and said, that's obvious. You look just like him, uh, which a lot of them also said, you're taller than him, too, because my brother was short, and, and uh and, and we talked a little bit about and the question I usually would ask when people said, well, how did you know Rick? And so she pointed out how she knew him. And, and then this lady said this. She said, Rick sent me a text. Just hours before his heart attack, said, your brother sent me a text to encourage me. That we were going through some difficult things with our family, with a teenage child, and 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 he knew about it, and so, so Friday night or Friday afternoon, he had he had sent me a text saying that he was thinking about me and praying for me and just wanted to encourage me. And then she said, "You know what? I've already done. I've already put in my phone for the next twelve months on the twenty seventh of each month. My brother died last Sunday right after ch- right after church here, uh, the 27th. She said, I've already put in my phone on the 27th of every month to encourage someone, whether it's a word or a text or a phone call or what. I- I've already put a reminder to-, to-, to tell me to do that, to respond to what your brother did for me. God calls us to put our faith into action. So if God walks to up, up to us and sees us, and he kicks us, do we jump? It's my prayer that he does. Would you pray with me? Father, help our faith be alive. Help our faith have action and uh, purpose and motive and mission. Father, so many people here that love you, that have a heart for you. Father, help us figure out how to see and and uh, and and then be moved and then and then Father ultimately to respond to that action. Sometimes that's not as easy to figure out as we would like. So Father, just give us eyes that see and hearts that love and wi- wisdom that uh, gives us the ability to respond and to act. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?